Welcome to another episode of Dr. Doctor, the award-winning radio show and podcast featuring your physician host, Dr. Tom McGovern. And Dr. Andrew Mullally, where we and our guests discuss relevant and health-related topics from an authentically Catholic perspective. Dr. Doctor is brought to you in part by the generous underwriting of CMF Curo. Learn more at mycatholichealthcare.org and live your Catholic faith in your healthcare with CMF Curo. Today, our guest will be heard across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Joining us again will be PhD ethicist Dr. Joe Zalot of the National Catholic Bioethics Center to teach us about ethics consultation, something you may have never heard of before, but it's time you did. So, Andrew, why is this seemingly esoteric topic really important for our listeners? I think it's really important, mainly because everybody is going to interact with the healthcare system uh, as a reason for many of our topics. And the ethics are always coming at a time either when you're not thinking about it or at a time when you have a lot of questions. And it's especially interesting or challenging in some ways as Catholics because uh, Catholic patients and I think Catholic doctors have a lot of ethics that many secular physicians just are not thinking about. Uh, and so in that way, it's a very unique place where our faith gets to inform our medical care because when it really comes down to it, you know, all doctors want to do the best thing. You know, from the very beginning, it's first do no harm. I mean, no matter what you do, just make sure you don't hurt the patient. You want to try and make them better, but ideally you want to do the very best thing. And ethics is another realm of reason that points us into the best line of care. Well, and Andrew, you especially like this area. I mean, every Catholic physician should have some interest into it, but you have an extra interest. What what led to that? You know, honestly, I think in undergrad, I took a lot of philosophy type classes. And that's something that I don't know if, if I was exposed to in high school and younger. It wasn't phrased as philosophy. But after I <laughs> was exposed to it in, in uh, undergrad, it just kind of blew my mind that there is a rational way. I mean, I loved algebra too. Maybe yep. it's just me. I'm Maybe in that club. Problem. Story problems, wonderful fun. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, give me the little grids, you know, 12 boxes of this, check this off and all the above, you know. And uh, you, you want to be able to figure it out. And it's so refreshing that there is a way to figure things out. And especially yes. in the world we live in today, so much is predicated on how people feel. And if that doesn't feel yes. right and outcome driven, uh, you know, the whole idea of the ends justifying the means, we know that's not good. It's hard mm -hmm. to articulate why, but so many decisions are based on, well, this is the chance of outcome of this and this is the chance outcome of that. It's all outcome driven. Philosophy and really traditional moral reasoning is not outcomes based, it's action based. I'm not wow. responsible as much for what happens as to what I do. If I do something do. bad, even yes. if it turns out well, uh, shame on me. If I do something well, even if it turns out bad, that's something that was beyond my control. So it's a different way of thinking that's frequently neglected. And so I, I love it. I love it. Well, the do something bad and it turns out good, that seemed to be the premise of many of the curious George books we read our kids. And I was worried <laughs> that they were sending the wrong ethical message. So beware, curious George. Yeah, the um, man in the yellow hat, he did not break it down in philosophy. It's just like he George. Did, that's what he was him. missing. That's, that's exactly <laughs> right. So Andrew, in family medicine, you encounter the whole breadth of medical possibilities. So mm. how often and what kind of ethical questions, if any, do your patients bring up to you? You know, the, the ones that people bring to me most as this is an ethical question I have for you would be end of life stuff. Because okay. there are multiple factors at play, every patient's different, multiple treatment options. The ethical questions that I spend a lot of time thinking about, I think a lot of Catholic doctors do, are questions that are not brought to us by patients. Patients find themselves in a certain line of treatment or a certain line of thinking that were, they were started on by another provider or by Dr. Google or by their favorite politician <laughs> or what have you that is totally not grounded in reality and science and faith in anything. And uh, the, the trick is, you know, I guess this is with everything is people have got to ask and you got to meet them where they're at. But there's a right. lot of ethical conversations that you want to introduce because ultimately, I mean, hey, at the end of the day, we're, we're supposed to try and help people get better. But 
I like to think we're trying to guide them towards Christ also, towards truth. And so you want to introduce these things slowly, but a lot of times people don't ask. So you got to be careful. So what are some of the big picture things you think our listeners should be um, really keying in on when Elliot and Joe are talking? Yeah. The thing I would think about is when could I use this in my life? When do I wish I had it? And then the other one I would say is how to really advocate for yourself because one of the things, you know, Joe and Elliot are, are friends of ours. We know them. They do a great job. So we're lucky to have them here. A lot of ethicists I would not put in that category. So I kind of want to <laughs> ask him too about, you know, my experience with medical ethics boards at hospitals are rubber stamp factories. You tell me what kind of, you know, icky thing that the doctor wants to do and the ethics committee is going to rubber stamp it. And that's not how ethics works. That's backwards. But like many things in our world, that's how I've seen it work. And I want to be able to hopefully equip our listeners with questions they can ask so that they know they can trust the results of the ethics committee. And if they tend to disagree, or especially if it's a matter of faith, how can they reach out to an ethicist on their own and get another opinion, make sure they're doing the right thing? And, and finally, one question that... Um I think we should clarify something called the ERDs that they will probably refer to. What are those? That's right. The Ethical and Religious Directives. I believe they're put out by the USCCB, right, Tom? That is correct. Yes. So there's the, the Vatican puts out its own um, guidelines for healthcare workers, but the USCCB put out the Ethical and Religious Directives, the ERDs. These are what is written into the bylaws of most Catholic institutions. It's written into the contracts of the folks that work with me. And it's something that basically gives us the general guidelines for ethics in healthcare. It would explicitly prohibit things that are intrinsically evil, like abortion. And it would give us guidelines on things that are never really intrinsically evil or intrinsically good. It's all dependent on the, the milieu we find ourselves in and the case-specific scenario. So there's several points. I think there's 50 or 60-some points, Tom. You might know better than me. I, I don't. There's lots of them. I've read them all before, but they're a point, especially for people when you're, you're trying to say, this is what the church believes, and you're talking to somebody who doesn't understand the faith or, or appreciate it. This is something you can point to and say, hey, this is what our bishops, the guidance they've given us. So it's very useful, and I think it's, it's probably a great tool that they'll refer to in the show. And now it's time for our medical trivia question of the day, which is the category likelihood of your hospital having an ethics committee. In 1983, 1% of U.S. hospitals had an ethics committee. By 2007, 81% of U.S. hospitals had an ethics committee. In a study done last year, 2021, what percent of 372 surveyed American hospitals had an ethics committee? We'll have the answer for you after the interview. You'll have to stay on until the end of the show, but be back with more of Joe Zalot and ethics consultations here on Dr. Doctor. Welcome back to our interview today. And we've got with us Dr. Joe Zalot, PhD. Joe is a staff ethicist at the National Catholic Bioethics Center. He's been doing that for the last five years. He was previously regional director for ethics and spiritual care for Mercy Health in Cincinnati. And he's also the host of the popular NCBC podcast, Bioethics on Air. Joe, welcome back to Dr. Doctor. Well, Tom, love to be back. It's great. Thanks, Andrew, for having me as well, too. Thanks for coming. So, so Joe, how did you get into this line of work where you get to answer the right things to do in a situation or the <laughs> whole gamut of what's right and what's not right and what's like that? Eh, either way. I, I think it, it probably started um, back a number of years ago. I was teaching at a college in Cincinnati and the college, I was, I was the ethics guy. So I had business ethics, I had healthcare ethics, I had all the ethics ah. classes. And we had an, an RN to BSN program, so registered nurse to Bachelor of Science in Nursing, that we did at the hospitals. And then I was asked to, would you teach the healthcare ethics class to nurses? And just imagine doing a healthcare ethics class with nurses who've been practicing anywhere from five years to 40 years. It oh was my. fantastic. It, it was, I mean, it was three, the classes were three hours long and they went by in a heartbeat. All I had to do is, is introduce a topic and somebody, I, I had a situation like that and off we went to the races and I realized, oh my, this is fantastic. I love this. And, and that was really kind of the start. Um, 
and then the you know the opportunities at Mercy Health came along, and then the, and then the opportunity at the NCBC came along. So, but I, I think that was really the thing that got my my interest going. Man, okay, Joseph, tell me what what does your average day look like? Is this like a nine to five gig? Are you on call all the time? How's that work? Well, we the office is open nine to five, um, but we tend to work more than that. So we you know we've got uh, we've. We have things that I, I do, you know, sort of ongoing. So our, our bioethics public policy report and the the, the, the bioethics on your podcast and your publication stuff, we do that all the time. But consult duty, the way we're doing it now, we have about six or seven ethicists who are taking consult duty. So we get consult duty one day, probably every, or we probably get about three days a month. We're on consult duty during the day. And then um, when the office is closed, we always have someone on 24-hour duty as well. So I'm actually finishing up my week on, uh, on, con- on emergency duty. So you can get anything um, during that time as well, too. So it's, 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 uh, it's more than a nine to five, um, but I enjoy it. So how many calls would you get on a, a shift when you're on call, uh, as well as a shift when you're on just during the day? Okay. So Generally speaking, the NCBC does about fifteen hundred consults a year, so one thousand okay. five hundred consults. Nice. And if you if you if you do that out, it comes out to about five or seven, five to seven a day. So if a you're on if you're on a business day, you get five, you get about five to seven. Now that's on average. During COVID, um, I I was doing twenty, twenty five, thirty a day. It oh was crazy. Goodness. Wow. Yeah, it was it was absolutely nuts. That's all you that's all you would do. When you're on emergency duty, um, which is night and weekend, usually you'll get two to three in a week. Okay. Uh, and that's that's what I've had this week is, is is I've had I've had three. So that gives you an average um about where things are coming from. And so one of the big things we want people to take away from this episode is how the ethics system kind of works generally in in the healthcare setting. And when, I guess maybe a good way to start is when would somebody want an ethics consultation? When should you ask for one? Yeah, I think what I would say to people is to ask in two two situations. One is if you have a question about how to apply Catholic teaching to a specific healthcare situation. So most of our consults are end of life and people will have questions about, um, you know, withholding or withdrawing a ventilator something like that, or nutrition and hydration. I know you talked about that on a, on a previous podcast as well. So specific application of, of church teaching to, to some you know, concrete medical situation. Also, I would say that people should ask for an ethics consultation if something just, quote unquote, feels wrong. Um, I, I, I've learned over the years that people's moral intuitions are actually very good. And if something just doesn't feel right, um, ask about it. You know, initiate that question or, or, or initiate that consult. Um, because if if you if you if something feels wrong, in many cases it probably is. And, and I don't think that's a touchy feely answer. I think that's a really profound answer because. Our decision-making ultimately is in the right part of our brain, which is nonverbal, but it sees the big picture. And so if something's wrong, we don't know a word to use besides feels to, to denote right. what's going on in that right side of our brain. So thank you. I think people will probably feel really refreshed to know that most people's intuition's on target, Joe. Yeah, and, and it's funny because when people call us up asking questions, like going back to the first thing, that you know, a specific church teaching for a specific situation, even in those cases, their moral intuitions are often right. Like they'll say, you know, we're, we're thinking about, you know, it, it, the, of withdrawing a ventilator or drawing this medication from this, from my, from my loved one, but I'm not sure. But, and, and as you talk through it, they come to realize, you know what, actually what we were thinking about doing was correct. So in a, in a vast majority of cases, the moral intuitions are correct on that end as well, too. How often would you say you get consultations from physicians or nurses or other healthcare team members rather than like the patient or their family? Yeah, I would say we do get them. It's certainly not as often as we get them from um, from patients and family members, but we do get them. Uh, we get them from physicians. More often, we get them from nurses, I think, because I, sometimes nurses, they're 
they are asked or they're um, or they're given medical orders to to do something or provide some intervention that they may not feel comfortable with or that violates their you know violates their beliefs. Uh, but we do get it. We do get them from um, from physicians as well too. Now, when you were working in a hospital, would you get them from hospital employees? Very rarely. Okay. Actually, it, it was really interesting when I when I was working for the hospital system. We had very very few ethics consults, and the ones that I remember really came. They may actually they may have come from healthcare professionals, but it's because of a specific patient or patient's family there was conflict or or you okay. know, or something like that. They're looking for clarity in terms of you know what do we do in a situation of of family conflict. So pretend we're on the telethon, Joe, and we want to give that phone number to people that everyone's supposed to call in. What number do you want to give to people for ethics consults? Or do you well, want to there, give it? <laughs> well, that, that that could be a dangerous thing, um, especially if we get another COVID spike or something. It would be nuts. <laughs> but, but there's uh, – it was funny. During COVID, we were hoping. I was like, oh, my goodness. No, don't call us. Don't call us because it was, it was just crazy. Um I, I'm just kidding, but but it, it felt like that sometime. But there, there's really two ways to uh, to contact us. One of us one of them is through our phone number, so it's two one five eight seven seven two six six zero, and that's the the NCBC's main line. And if you call, particularly if you call um, after business hours, you'll have a, an option to you know if it's an emergency, you know to to leave a message and an ethicist will get back to you. The other way to do it is to go to our website. It's ncbcenter.org. And you hit the the personal consultations tab, and then there's uh, you'll, there's a drop down, and it says free ethics consult, and it'll give you the option to either write essentially an email um, asking a question, or to leave a voicemail. So there's there's a couple of different ways that people can do it. And Joe, when would people want to reach out to you? I can imagine that sometimes if if it was an inpatient setting. And maybe the family member brought up an ethics consult and they say, oh, we've got an ethics committee here at the hospital. When would that be the best option versus reaching out to you guys? I, I would say I, I would say always stay on the local level. It's sort of the principle of subsidiarity here as much as you can. Always start on the local level. Um, you know, if, if you have a question, start with the healthcare team, start with the chaplains, um, because they're often very, you know, closely involved with the ethics committee. Um, go to the hospital leadership if need be. I've, I've counseled people to to do that. Go to you know, okay. go to the CMO, go to the CEO, um, and, and and express your concerns to them. If they're not met there, or if if again something just doesn't feel right about it, you know, f- please feel free to call us. And and so I guess a follow up to that. My experience with ethics committees at the hospitals. Has has not been a varsity experience. Um, <laughs> it's left something to be desired. Um, I'm not sure, you know, and I'm thinking more of community hospitals, not mm-hmm. necessarily big ep- academic ones. But uh, it, it's not necessarily people where this is their day job. And a lot of times, I think on on my side of things, especially going through training. It looked like we we were going to them for a rubber stamp for whatever the plan of care was by the attending physician. I said, "Gee whiz, I'm I'm not sure this is good." You know, is that a legitimate thing? Is that a weird experience, or is that out there? Again, I, I think it probably would be best to talk to someone who's in a hospital setting today to do that. I, I can say from from my experience when I was um, when I was working for a healthcare system, we had. Five hospitals, four ethics committees, plus a regional ethics committee, and each ethics committee had its own personality. Like there were some that were very much involved and were willing to jump in, and 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 actually were pretty good um, in terms of in terms of applying Catholic teaching to to particular situations. There were other committees where the people um, they felt. They they didn't feel adequate. I think that as you said, it, it's not their day job, um, and they were really uncomfortable with situations of, you know, what do we do? You know, how, how do we apply church teaching and how do we do it faithfully? So I, I think it's going to depend on the personalities of the committee, but you're going to get um, you're going to get good ones, and you're going to get uh, <laughs> I like the term sub varsity, yeah, other <laughs> ones as well too. Well, and but, particularly yeah, it, at non-Catholic hospitals, um, yeah, the ethics committees. You know, do you have any experience hearing what those are like? I think that's more of what Andrew's referring to. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. what ethics are they? Are what's the the benchmarks that they're pointing to? They don't have the ERDs. You know, right. is this just a, a popular vote ethics situation here? You know, is this a Twitter ethics? You know? <laughs> yeah. I, now again, I, I don't have any personal experience with that, uh, other than to say that probably what happens in uh, a secular ethics committee is they probably use the the principalist, you know, the principalism, the, the, that four box uh, mm-hmm. type of thing. But it's, again, it's a very, um, you know, it's a very secular uh, approach to it, which isn't necessarily bad in and of itself. But, you know, certainly from the Catholic perspective, we have the ERDs, we have the tradition of the church, we have, you know, the understanding of, of you know, everybody will talk about the dignity of the human person, but, you know, the sacredness, you know, we have an individual who is created in God's image and likeness and is, is destined for eternal life with God. You know, how, how does that impact the decisions that we make? And, and that's really why I, I, I really enjoy doing ethics from a Catholic perspective. And in fact, people who um, do consults with really appreciate that as well too that we you know that we 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 explicitly address that dimension of the human person so joe who's usually requesting these is it the patient or family member of a patient depends so most of our or a majority of our consults are end of life right so usually in an end of life situation we're being called by or contacted by a family member of a loved one usually someone who is a um, a power of attorney. Yes. Not always, but but oftentimes the person who is, you know, designated to make decisions for themselves. So that's in end of life situations. For other issues, mm-hmm. oftentimes we're getting the, the person him or herself okay. um, is, is calling or they're, you know, the calling for a friend. I do that in, you know, in air quotes. <laughs> yeah. we, we 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 do we do, we do get that, you know. And, and, and you know, what some of those topics uh, usually, those will be uh, issues of infertility, mm-hmm. um, ectopic pregnancy type questions, um, uh, questions in terms of specific treatments, um, those types of things. We also get, interestingly enough, we get um, calls from priests mm-hmm. fairly often um, because they're dealing with parishioners who are experiencing some issue. Usually, it has something to do with fertility. And, you know, they'll call us up and they'll say, you know, oh, I know we mentioned this. I wish I had a dollar for every time I heard. It. I know they mentioned this in seminary, but I, I have no idea what I'm doing here. Um, so I, I wouldn't be rich, but I'd be able to take us, the three of us out for dinner. You know, uh, you know that doesn't surprise me, though, because I, I like to think of myself a little bit as a bioethics nerd. And uh, whenever <laughs> I come to the club. <laughs> I, every time I, I'm hanging out with a priest, whatever the situation, I always am a little bit, I don't want to say shy, but just giddy, like, oh, I'm so excited, like so many things to talk about. And um, I'll ask him about bioethics or something that's been on my mind or some weird little corner that I wanted to get another opinion on. They're like, uh, I'm not interested in bioethics. You know, I'm really interested in other parts of the faith, but bioethics. I, I assume it's a passion of all the priests, but there's a lot of it's them that not. it's not their passion, you yeah. know. So I'm glad to hear that they're calling. Yeah, but it's funny because I think the ones who do call us probably are the ones who it is a passion for because right. they're, they're uh-huh. really interested in this. So I, you know, I, I just, uh, I'm obviously I can't, I don't know that for sure, but um, but we've I've met uh, a number of priests through our NCBC programs and stuff who I keep in touch with, and um, they're they're really interested in it and and they love learning. So um, so so Joe, at least the ones we deal with are interested. When a consult comes into you. Uh, do each of you handle it individually without any collaboration or is there sometimes collaboration? Are some of them so regular that you know what the answer is going to be and others are like, wow, what do we do? Yeah. So most of the consults that come in are are pretty, I don't want to say cut and dry, but pretty straightforward. So okay. we answer them um, individually. Like, And in fact, a number of us, including myself, we have template responses. These yep. would be for the for the written ones. Yep. So we have a template response. And then what we do is we'll go and we'll personalize it to you know the specific context there. So um, so a, a vast majority of, of ones we can uh, we can answer on our own. Every once in a while, you get something that kind of makes you think. And you go, uh, hmm. Wow. Okay. And then two things, one of two things happens, or sometimes two of two things happens. First is, um, <laughs> the first is, um, well, actually, 
whoever's in the office, whatever ethicists are in the office will say, hey, can we get together? It's a little ad hoc meeting. Yeah. And you say, you know, can we kind of talk through this a little bit? Because I, I just want to make sure that, you know, we're all on the same page. And, and you know, we all of us, one of the things that we're really concerned about here at the NC, well, not concerned about, but we're cognizant of is, is make sure we're giving um, consistent replies to, to questions. Yeah, sure. Um, and so, so we'll do that. Or if it's kind of not an emergency, we, we have a, a Wednesday morning ethicist meeting and people will bring topics up there and, you know, and we'll talk about them, we'll discuss them. And, and usually it's, it's something, it's some nuance about something, you know, like a cooperation question. There's some nuance. Yeah, give us an really example of one of these. Well, I'll give you one, and this is one that um, now our, our consults are, are are confidential. But this is a person who actually gave me permission because oh. it was such a it was such a good one. I, I said, "Hey, can we use this?" And, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, go ahead, use it. That's fine." <laughs> uh, the person will remain nameless, but it was a um, a pharmacist who was asked to fill a prescription, and I don't know what it was for, but it was to help in the gestation of an IVF procedure. Um, so it wasn't progesterone, but it was something, some other medication that you would give to uh, a woman who is undergoing IVF. And so we, we talked about this it. This is and, pre-implantation. And, well, this is what one, this is one of the things that we were, that we went back and got further information about. It actually wasn't, as we understand it, it, he wasn't being asked to do this as part of the IVF protocol itself, which would be problematic. Right. But apparently the IVF um, procedure had already happened. Okay. And I'm assuming that the, the woman she had had um, previous, you know, multiple previous miscarriages and something like that. So they wanted to give her medications to help sustain the pregnancy. And it's, you know, it, it's a cooperation question, but it's a nuance that, you know, I hadn't really, um, hadn't really heard before. And I, and I, I was on consulate duty that day and I went into our, um, Ted Furton, he's our director of publications and one of our ethicists. I said, Hey Ted, I got a question for you. And he's like, what is it? And we sat down and we had a nice little discussion. A couple other people came in and, and banted things around, but you know, that type of thing to kind of, you know, just, to, just to, 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 you know, to, to, to get other people's perspectives on. Um, it's very helpful. So, so my gut level, see if my instinct is right or not. My instinct is the life is already there. So you're going to do whatever you can to support it. What did that's, you guys that's, come up with? That's essentially what we came up with okay. is, is yes. Um, that's or our determination. We, and we contacted him back and, and he was there too. Um, this pharmacist was there. Um, but he just, you know, he was looking for, looking for clarification and, and looking for confirmation, which is in fact what, you know, particularly in, in end of life situations, that's really what a lot of the consultations really end up being is confirmation that yes, what you're doing, what, you know, your moral intuitions, as we, as we talked about before are correct. And what you're doing is yes, it's, it's perfectly compatible. with the teachings And on that note, we're going to take a break here on Dr. Doctor, but be back with more of Joe Zalot and ethics consultations here on Dr. Doctor. And we are back today on Dr. Doctor with Dr. Joe Zalot. We're talking about ethics consultations, and we're learning a lot. And so one of the things I'd like to get to in the second half of the interview are some more specific kind of dilemmas or examples. I know, Joe, one of the things that bothers a lot of healthcare providers is this idea of cooperation with evil. Uh, there's some things that you definitely can't do. You can't go and do an abortion. But that's not really the risk for most people. For most people, it's more of a superficial interaction. Tell us about some of those sticky situations we should be aware of, how to think about them. Yeah, so I, I mentioned earlier that the number one area where we get consult requests is end-of-life stuff. Probably a close second, maybe third, are issues of cooperation. And we get calls fairly often not so much from doctors, although that does happen every once in a while, but it's, it's nurses, it's medical students, uh, nursing students, pharmacy students, and they're being, well, as they will say, they're being forced to uh, participate in procedures that they, that they know violate um, the teachings of the church and actually violate their own conscience, particularly things like sterilization. We hear that fairly often. And it's, um, you know, a, a common case would be a nurse who's working in uh, in ER, and a patient comes in, 
and they do a cesarean section and then they do a, um, a bilateral salpingectomy, a sterilization procedure, you know, in, you know, in, in addition to the, um, to the C-section. And the question is like, what do I do? You know, can I be there for this? Can I not be there for this? What, how should I handle these types of situations? So we get those questions, um, from it, it's really kind of more the younger um, people, the, the students and the residents um, who are who are dealing with and trying to trying to navigate these questions. Another cooperation question that we get. And, well, and first, this how is, do you answer that question, Joe? How do you answer that? Our listeners want to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got a whole big consult response that I get that I can send ah. to them. Ba- basically, what what I tell them is. You know, if to the extent that you can do this, have conversations with your, whether it's your, your manager or, you know, clinic director, or whoever the person is, the hiring manager and say, you know, they, these are, these are situations that I'm not comfortable being involved with and have those, have those conversations up front. And what we found is, and there's other things to do as well too, but what we found is that, or I found is people will call back and they'll say, you know what, our, you know, my manager really appreciated that. You know, she or he may not agree with me, but they really appreciated that I'm up front and I'm, I'm, I'm being clear with them. And in fact, I've also, people have also said that other people will sort of come out of the woodwork, you know, fellow uh-huh. employees who had similar um, issues would, you know, they say, you know, that, tap them on the shoulder and say, you know what, I, I agree with you, you know, and I, and I have a problem with this as well too. So you'll hear that. So we, we hear those, but um, just one other really quickly in the, yes. in the COVID world, um, we're hearing and are getting more questions from people who are in the research field uh, who are calling us up because they may not personally be involved with, or they may be, but the, the lab that they're working for is working with uh, HEK-293 cells or mm. PERC-6 cells, the abortion-derived cell lines that you know, have, have garnered so much um, attention mm-hmm. and ethical angst in terms of COVID-19 vaccines and other pediatric vaccines. I know we talked about this in a previous yeah. episode of Dr. Doctor yes. many, many moons ago. But yes. researchers are, are contacting us um, and graduate students are contacting us saying, you know, what, what do I do about this? How do I, how do I navigate these, you know, these situations? So we get those as well, too. And, 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 but those are good things. It's, it's actually good that people are thinking about these issues. What, what kind of advice do you give those people? Uh, kind of the same thing. Um, you know, have conversations with, um, you know, with, with your managers or whoever's in charge of the lab to, to, to try to distance yourself as much as you can. Oftentimes it's people who are thinking about taking a new job, you know, and the question is, you know, for them is, you know, do you need this job? Do you, do you, you know, is this necessary for you to, to support your family or anything else? Or is this kind of a lateral move that you really don't need to do? And, and, you know, are you going to find yourself in situations where, um, that could be morally compromising? So it's, you know, again, it's, it's kind of looking at the situation, seeing what their, seeing what their specific context is and trying to make the best moral decision. Ultimately, they have to make the decision about what they're going to do. So, mm. Joe, something that I was presented with several years ago, um, and something that's been a concern even doing outpatient medicine, but I guess is even a bigger concern inpatient, people are even calling you with concerns about discharging patients. Can you tell us what some of those dilemmas might look like? Well, I, I don't know if it's not so much people are calling us about it, but in our um, we have a, a program, it's called the Catholic Identity and Ethics Review, where we go to, well, I should say a bishop invites us into his diocese and we do a, ah. an, an ethical review of the okay. hospital system. And so we go around to different departments and um, on a, you know, on a, one of our past uh, visits, we were in the ED and the emergency, you know, we, 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 the, the emergency department. Yep. And, and we asked, you know, we, we said, you know, what are some of the ethical um uh, issues that you face here. And usually we hear, you know, end of life stuff or family conflict type thing and, and that type of stuff. But uh, a doctor said, you know, the, the biggest ethical issue for us is, you know, patients come in and this was in a, a hospital that's in a, um, let's just say that the soci- it's, it's in a challenged socioeconomic area mm-hmm. of a particular city. And, you know, the doctor said, you know, patients come in, we stabilize them, we do what we can. But then we, you know, we have to discharge them. And what is it that we're discharging them to? Because we know that they don't either they don't have access to the help they need, or they're not willing to get the help they need, or they're going back to situations that are, I mean, quite frankly, can be abusive. And you know, what what does a safe discharge mean? And it was really I I, I remember being 
kind of wide-eyed at that one. And we had a nice little conversation uh, about what that means and, and how that affects them as, as healthcare professionals. You mentioned off uh, offline that the NCBC is doing some things to improve what it has to offer. Tell us about some of the things that you're going through now. Yeah, so a couple of things. I mean, one of them is uh, we've just started a, it's called the Personal Consultations Department. And my colleague and fellow ethicist, John DiCamillo, who I believe was on Dr. Doctor recently talking about plastic surgery. And I learned a lot. Cosmetic surgery, yes. Yes, yeah, it was a good one. So John is, um, he's heading this department. And one of the things that he's doing is he's taking our responses. So uh, any of our written responses, uh, we, we have them all, you know, they're saved. They're, they're, um, they're saved. And John's, John and his interns are going through them and reading them and, and kind of collating them, taking out or, or, or putting together, um, you know, if one ethicist recommends this source, another recommends that source, kind of bringing them together and trying to make them uniform. So uh, our, our template responses um, will be more will be more uniform uh, going forward and actually offer people more information. And then in bigger down the road, um, possibly uh, taking those temp- those new template responses and either uh, putting up a, a frequently asked questions page on the on the consult website. So if people have you know specific questions about things, they can just go to that, and maybe even uh, down the line uh, publish a book. Um, you know how does how does the NCBC respond to these kind of common uh, ethics questions that we receive? So those are all. You know, this, this is the brand new department. John just started this um, just a few weeks you know, prior to our recording this interview, uh, but he has big plans for it. And, it, and, it, and it's, uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. That sounds awesome. You know, I, it's got me thinking when you're making these consults, I guess, is it mostly virtual for you? I mean, I can imagine in a hospital that sometimes maybe you'd want to go to the bedside. What does that look like? Yeah, our consults are pretty much all virtual in the sense of they're either going to be an email consult or they're going to be a phone call. Now, that being said, um, I've been on the phone with family members on multiple occasions where you can hear the monitors in the background beeping. Um, sometimes you can you can hear the patient either speaking or or making other noises, um, and, and you know for for various things. But you're in the room with them. Um, a really wonderful experience I had one time was uh, a family called me up and they, you know, we talked for a while and they said, you know, Hey Joe, we're having a, a family meeting, you know, tomorrow or the next day or whatever with our priest. Would it be possible to, to dial you in? Cause we're all meeting at, at, at the house, I guess. Could you, could you, di- you, could you come in and be part of the, be part of the meeting with us? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, it's, it, it's those, are, th- th- that's the exception rather than the rule, but you know, Whereas we're kind of far away, um, sometimes we can be very close and, and um, you know, it must be fulfilling, be there. you know, not just be part of a quote think tank, but you're actually making concrete decisions or advice to help people in their situations. It's not just, you know, ivory tower. Oh, Tom, I'm glad you asked that because absolutely. Um, I love my job at the NCBC. I mean, you have good days and bad days like everybody else. But the thing I love the most and it, 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 you just get so much fulfillment out of it is when you, when you, when someone thanks you for, you know, just helping them to talk through one of these situations. Mm-hmm. And usually it's the emergency consults, you know, sure. so, so when somebody's calling at night, uh, it's usually not the middle of the night, but it's usually, you know, in the evenings. Um, and, and, you know, something has happened and they're, you know, you could tell they're frazzled. And they just want somebody to talk to, to kind of talk things out and say, you know, what is the right thing to do and to do that. And then at the end of it, they just, they just say, Joe, thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. And, you know, and thank you for the service that you guys offer. And it's, it's so, it, it, it is the most fulfilling thing. And it's my favorite part of the job. I absolutely love it. Well, you're usually meeting people at times of their life that are going to be kind of landmark times. They're going to remember the rest of their lives. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that really, I, I mean, that ups the game on our end too. I mean, we have to be, we have to be knowledgeable, but we have to be uh, pastoral. My wife, will, when she listens to this, she's going to laugh because she says, I don't have a pastoral bone in my body. But, uh, <laughs> and, and that's probably true for people who know me, but, but, but you have to be. Um, and, and you're, 
I mean, uh, Tom, as you said, I mean, you're dealing, and, and you guys deal with this as well. Physicians deal with this. You know, you're, you're I, I remember someone saying to me once, um, you're dealing with people on the worst day of their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that can either be the patient or the patient's family. And, you know, and, and any help that you can offer, um, it's, it's just, it's wonderful. And especially when you get the thank you or, you know, the follow-up email where people say thank you. Um, it's, it's just wonderful. Well, I think it's so important having somebody, especially when, when there's moral issues involved, you want to have somebody there that you can trust because you're trying to do the right thing. But ultimately, you know, I wonder how many, how many confessions that we'd have to ask a priest, how many confessions are like just double checking. Is this okay? <laughs> you know what I mean? And, uh, I, I think that's such a gift to people when they feel uncomfortable with something, especially when it's it's less medical and more, is this right? Uh, right. What a gift to take advantage yeah. of that. Can, can you share with us, I, I know maybe not specific stories, but can you share with us some more stories? Maybe what what's the most challenging one you've had to do? I, I, the challenging ones, I think, are when you have an issue that there's a lot of nuance and you're really talking about something that that you don't know a whole heck of a lot about. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I don't have medical training, um, but you learn a lot. Um, and the internet is great for, you know, like Tom, I was thinking of you this morning, you know, somebody calls up and they've, you know, they, they say they have some, you know, big long word with a lot of vowels and it's like, okay, I, that's, you know, I need Tom McGovern for that. To figure out <laughs> but, Definitely um, dermatology. Yes, uh, absolutely. <laughs> yep. um, but I, I can think of a, this happened, um, this happened a couple of times is when you have things like uh, non-tubal ectopics. Mm-hmm. Right? So usually an ectopic pregnancy is going to be in the fallopian tube. But what happens when you don't? And it, it's somewhere that you, you, you just like, I'm like, what? It's where? It's implanted where? And you just you kind of don't have a clue. And in, in those types of situations, actually, I've um, gotten on the phone with some OBGYN friends yeah. and said, um, could, like, what's going on here? Can you, can you, you know, can you tell me? And they're, and they're, they're very good. And in fact, um, I actually refer a lot of people to my Catholic doctor, which uh, I know you guys have talked sure. to Catholic Benjamin with it. Uh-huh. Yep. And, you know, because I, I'll tell people, I say, you know, I can't give you medical advice, but if you want faithful um a faithful medical perspective, my Catholic doctor is a good resource and, there, and there's others as well. But I think, um, Andrew, going back to your question, you know, people tell us, and I think I said this earlier, that, you know, they say that we're a, a respected, um, we're a respected organization because we're going to give you the perspective um, from you know, from Catholic teaching, and we're not going to shy away from it. And sometimes it's sometimes it's not what people want to hear. Um, sometimes it would be a lot easier to do something that actually violated church teaching. I mean, let's be honest; it would be. That's why it happens. Um, but we, you know, we're gonna we're gonna give you that perspective, um, and people appreciate it. Um, and and they they you know they tell us they appreciate it. So um, again, it's very fulfilling. What do you recommend? you know, a student nurse or a resident or medical student do, if they are working in a Catholic hospital that's supposedly following the ethical and religious directives, but they see them being violated, what what should they do in that situation? Yeah, that's a good question. Again, I, I think probably the best thing to do is start with your chain of command. Mm-hmm. So if, if it's a nurse, you know, bring it to your nurse manager. Um, and, and sometimes the nurse manager will, you know, will address it or bring it to a higher level. If that doesn't happen, I would go to a chaplain, um, go to, you know, the pastoral care department and, and bring your concerns there. If that's, uh, you know, if, if they can't do anything about it, um, you know, you, you could go to a higher up, you could go to HR, or you could go to the, you know, the nursing, uh, the CNO, the, the chief nursing officer, nursing. Or the chief medical officer of, you know, and, and express these things. Um, but you know, and but as we've seen, you know, people are, you know, for good reason. They're they're um, I don't want to say scared, but they're there's like you know, what's this, what's going to happen to me? What's what's going to yes. be the result of this? Um, but you know, we we encourage people, you know, to speak up and and if you know if, if it's something if they want to get some clarification, we've again we've had numbers of of consults with this uh, Megan Kraft being another one. She yes. uh, you guys you She's guys in, uh, interviewed her and and that 
whole thing started with a with a consult that she um, brought to us about you know questions that she was having. So, you know, if you want clarification from a Catholic perspective, again, um, please call us. But you know, it's always best to start locally and and see if the see if the issue could be resolved there. So, Joe, you'd mentioned that there was one ethics consult that was the most tough you ever dealt with. Tell us about it. Yeah, it was it was my father. Yeah. So, um, so it's we're we're recording this uh, on the feast of the Assumption, August fifteenth yes, of twenty twenty two. My father died on April, uh, excuse me, on May tenth of twenty twenty two. So just a little bit over three months ago, and um, his situation, interestingly, um, and and I was his uh, power of attorney uh, for healthcare. His situation, interestingly, was no different than the hundreds of mm. other end of life situations that that I've dealt with. But there was something really different about this. And and obviously because it was my father. Sure. You know? And it, it was really interesting because, you know, it, it never got to a point where we had to make a, a big decision, a big ethical decision. But it was sort of like, okay, what it, you know, if, if you know if such and such happens, what do we do? If such and such happens, what do we do? And I found myself um I, I, I didn't actually do it, but I felt myself at some point like Man, I may I maybe need to speak with one of our ethicists just to make sure I'm on the right I'm on the right page. And in my in my head, I knew that everything was was on the up and up, but there was just something inside me that was just like, oh my goodness, this is my father, and you know, and then you know he died and and, and everything else. But I think this experience has really helped me to, you know, I, I always tried to to demonstrate empathy, um, you know, for the people who are who are calling us up. But now this is personal. You know, it's it's you know the, the person on the other side of the phone. I know what they're feeling. I know the, you know the, uh, the uh, just like the indecision. The like, oh my goodness, am I doing the right thing? I don't. You know, we don't want to do something wrong. Uh, I get that because I because I felt that, and I think that 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 has just helped me to, um, you know, to to hopefully you know serve the people who were who were were serving even better. Last yeah. question, Joe. If listeners can remember one thing from this episode, what do you recommend it is? Uh, can I do two things? You're the guest. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, 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 the first thing is, particularly for people who are healthcare professionals and you know, due to your faith and due to your beliefs that sometimes you think you're alone or you're on an island, you're not. You're really not. So people call us up all the time and, and they, they think, oh my goodness, nobody else thinks like me. Yes, they do. Right. So if, if you're looking for support, please, you know, reach out to us. We're, we're, we're happy to support you. For everyone else, um, our console service is available to everybody. Take advantage of it. You know, contact us. It's free. Um, although we're, you know, we, we certainly encourage if, if people are, have the ability to, uh, to, to send a donation, certainly. And people do. It, 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 it's really um, quite wonderful when they do. But there's no, um, there's, no, there's no obligation to. But our consult service is available to you. Take advantage of it. Priests included. You know, um, you know give us a buzz if you have a question. Give us that um, phone number your, again, Joe. Our phone number is area code 215-877-2660. Or you can go to our um, our webpage, ncbcenter.org, click on personal consultations, it's a button on the top, and then just hit free ethics consult. Thank you, Joe, for being with us and educating our audience about something most of them didn't know anything about. And we are back with Dr. Doctor and the answer to the trivia question about ethics committees. Tom, what do you got? So what are the odds that a hospital near you has an ethics committee? Well, it was 1% in 1983, 81% in 2007, and as of 2021, 97% chance it has an ethics committee. So now you know. Yeah, a lot of people learn, learned ethics in the last 50 years. I don't know what, what to make of that, but there you go, 97%. At least it's being addressed. Andrew, you have a top three for our, our fun-packed episode today. Yeah, I guess number one, people who like what they heard and they think this applies to them, uh, call the NCBC. It's a 215-877-2660. That's for ethics consultations. You can also send an email at ncbcenter.org. So that'd be number one. Number two, I would say uh, Joe is very clear, you know, the most of these have to do with end-of-life situations. So as you're approaching an end-of-life situation, as you have a loved one, 
think about it a little bit ahead of time. And as you have questions, go ahead and shoot an email to their website. That way you can get back the information, hopefully before you're in a time of crisis. I know for myself, I'm never my best at 2 a.m. You want me during business hours, trust me. <laughs> uh, and then number th- number three, I, I would say, you know, he kind of referenced, you know, nobody's an island. If you feel like I've got an icky feeling about this, this is something that I don't I don't trust what's going on. It's a, I've got moral uncertainty. You're probably not wrong. Reach out for a consultation and they can equip you with the right way to think about things. So those would be my top three, Tom. I, and I'm excited. They're thinking about putting together a book um, with common, you know, scenarios and responses. I remember the only ethics book I ever enjoyed reading. Uh, there was an ethicist uh, named Germain Grise, and he wrote this huge two-volume tome called The Way of the Lord Jesus. And he encouraged people to send in the toughest medical ethics questions they could think of. Uh, not only medic, but ethics, all types of ethics, and put it in a book. And it was fascinating reading through it from a case-based way of learning. So, Oh, that's really neat. Yeah, in fact, if I still had the books, I'd give them to you, but I donated it to an order of priests a while ago. So we'll have to that, track down the priests. <laughs> that's right. So uh, you've learned about ethics consultations. Thanks for being with us for another episode of Dr. Doctor. You can find this and all old episodes of our show on our website, drdoctor.org. If you click on episode archive at the top, you can search over 280 episodes by guest or topic. And we now offer a video version of our podcast. Yes, that's true. Check us out. Just click the link at the top of the website that says YouTube on drdoctor.org. And also, if you have a question or a great idea for an episode topic, click where it says submit a question. This is Dr. Tom McGovern. And Dr. Andrew Mullally. And we're signing off until your next dose of Dr. Doctor. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-host. Have a question for our doctors or a topic you'd like to hear about? Call or text your questions to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or fill out the form at drdoctor.org. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Doctor Show and tune in for new episodes every Friday. Plus, find all our past episodes at drdoctor.org. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.